Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Jim Marty here reporting from beautiful 65-degree Las Vegas. <laughs> and Larry Michigan uh, reporting from 15-degree Chicago. <laughs> Very good, Larry. Well, we've got a lot to talk well, about. <clears throat> we've got some great guests we today. Do. For this one, we have Charles Warner from Cannabis Tech Today. It's Cannabis and Tech Today. Yeah, there's, there's a little land in there, but, you know, either way. Yeah, so we're here at the convention, so we're going to give you some insight on that. Uh, maybe I'll start with a, two, a few takeaways from the conference. Um, it's the big MJ BizCon, and I don't know how many tens of thousands. Are they approaching 30,000 people down there? I think they were estimating maybe even 35,000. Yeah, and it's just yeah, shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder, and a lot of really big displays of really heavy-duty industrial extraction equipment and things for big machines for shredding hemp. It's just absolutely fascinating. Thousands of booths. You couldn't visit every booth in the three days. It's so big. So we're at the Westgate, and I've guesstimated it's a better part of a mile to go from the hotel to where the convention floor is, and then probably another half mile to find your booth. And it's crazy Las Vegas, as usual. Uh, Willie Nelson had his big party the other night. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, what you're describing is a far cry from the circumstances at the MJ Biz Conference in 2013 when I first met you, as I recall, all 700 of us sat in one room to listen to the presentations, and then we went downstairs, and on the second floor of the uh, clubhouse at the racetrack, they had a room yep. set up with maybe two, three aisles of exhibits at the most, and all I remember is everyone being so excited because the year before in Denver, they only had 100 people, and now they had 700 people. I remember the racetrack. I had a few uh, business meetings looking down at the uh, racetrack from the windows above. I remember the big windows yep. from that racetrack. You know, the Westgate used to be the Las Vegas Hilton, and that's where Elvis Presley played over 800 shows. There's a big bronze statue of Elvis in the center of the lobby. You feel like you're stepping back in time to the 1960s or 70s in this hotel. And, you know, as much as I like to think of myself now, and you know, at this stage in life as a real jam band fan and, you know, the more sophisticated rock and roll music that we always talk about and everything. The truth of the matter is, is that my very first musical concert of any kind was seeing Elvis Presley in the Las Vegas Hilton doing a dinner show in 1972. The very short version of the story is my father, who's now a retired orthopedic surgeon, I used to go out there every year for the annual orthopedic convention, and they always stayed at the Las Vegas Hilton because the conference was right there in the same convention room you guys are in now. Uh, and my mother was the type of person who went around and made friends with everybody, and somehow she became friends with the house manager. And uh, when the house manager had a medical situation, he would call my father. And one day he called my father and said, if you have a few minutes, Dr. Mishkin, I need some help. One of the uh, performers in Elvis Presley's entourage is not feeling well. My dad left the conference and went with the house manager, and they went up to the top floor of your hotel. And so the, at the time, was called the Elvis Presley Suite. My dad had an opportunity to tend to the, the sick member of the entourage. And as they were walking out, my dad said it was, it was the biggest space he had ever seen in his life. Way over in the corner by a window standing all by himself was a guy. And the manager turns and says, yeah, that's Elvis over there. My dad gave a little wave. They went back downstairs, and the manager was very thankful said to my dad, how would you like two tickets for the, the Elvis Presley show? And my dad said, can we get four? The manager said, sure. And he contacted my mom. I was maybe 10 years old at the time, and my brother and I were back in St. Louis staying with our grandparents. Well, 
my parents were in Las Vegas. And the next thing I knew, we were being hustled onto an airplane, just my brother and I. We'd never flown by ourselves before. And we flew out to Las Vegas, washed up, changed, and went right downstairs to the ballroom. Uh, we had the big fancy dinner in the, in the big ballroom in one of those big booths with the high rounded back. And they cleared all the plates and everything, and they set up the stage. And the next thing I knew, there was Elvis Presley up on stage wearing the jumpsuit outfit, throwing his scarves into the crowd, the girls all crushing up to the front of the stage. I may have been too young at that moment to fully appreciate it, but looking back on it, it was quite an experience. And I can say I saw 110 Dead shows, but I saw an Elvis show, too. You got to see the king. Do you remember any of the songs? Very, very vaguely. I do remember that they played You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog, because that may have been the only real Elvis Presley tune I recognized at the time. But he just played one song after another, and after every song, he'd toss a, a, a new scarf out into <laughs> the audience, and he'd turn around and he'd have a drink. And he'd come back, but I, I do remember at the end of the show, right when it was all done, he, he finished his final note, he held up the curtain, he slipped out underneath it, and 30 seconds later we got the announcement that Elvis has left the building. <laughs> wow, that's a great story. Yep. Elvis smoked cannabis. My understanding is he didn't drink or smoke, ah. and he was very religious being from the South. We learned he after the show that he was not drinking alcohol. Yes. Mm. Now, he, he never drank or smoked. He trusted his doctors, which is why... He died of the pills mm -hmm. that he was taking mm -hmm. and contributed to his um, obesity. He was only 42 when he died. Yep, that's right. Amazing. Hard to believe. So anyways, Charles, so tell us about Cannabis and Tech today. How long has it been around? What is your focus? So we have been around, uh, we're going on two years now. I've been in the magazine business for a long time. I've done really um, high-end event publications, the World Series program, the bowl games. I've oh, done wow. uh, PGA championships. Yeah, so I was used to making really nice magazines that people would hang on to and keep for a while. Uh -huh. And uh, all of a sudden, I got out of sports, and we really went into, into tech uh, about five, five years ago. And we launched a magazine called Innovation in Tech Today covering all the stuff that, you know, people people kind of care about, you know, from gaming to entertainment, you know, cybersecurity, smart home, all that stuff. And being a part owner of this cannabis tech company in Denver, right in the epicenter of all this cannabis business, we realized maybe we should do a cannabis tech magazine. You know, there are lots of magazines out there and they're great magazines and, you know, we, we like them all. Um, but a lot of them were lifestyle focused. A lot of them were, you know, a little bit different. And we wanted to make a really high quality, you know, kick-ass $10 magazine that would speak to the innovation and the tech and the business and make it the same kind of quality as those, you know, keepsake magazines that is, you know, like at the Super Bowl or the World Series. If you go to something like that, you're not going to uh, throw that, Chuck, that away. Can I just jump in for one minute here? Yeah. I, I, I just have to tell you, uh, now that I know who you are, my wife doesn't like you. She hasn't met you, but she doesn't like you. Because my basement is filled with those magazines from the World Series, from college bowl games, from the NHL and NBA playoffs. I've got so many of those magazines that I saved in my basement. She doesn't know what to do with them all. You did a good job. <laughs> we think print works better when it doesn't get thrown away. So, <laughs> And I'm looking at his magazines and they're beautiful, glossy, super high quality print and pictures. Very nice magazine. So is this your first MJ BizCon? No, so this is probably, and hearing you guys go back, uh, it would be great to be a fly on the wall, you know, for the first MJ Biz, listening to you guys talk yeah. about it. I think we've been to maybe three. Okay. So we've seen it grow quite a bit too, but not, you know, to the extent you guys are talking about. Right. 
Right. So, what are your takeaways? Have you, have you been to any of the parties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> a couple. You know, the thing is, there's almost like two two sides of the coin at MJ Biz. You know, you've got the, the work you do on the show floor, and you know your your clients, your selling, your networking, whatever you're doing. And then there's a whole other shift afterwards, <laughs> and that's you know after you you yeah. leave the convention center. Uh, so sometimes it's tough to you know I'm, I'm getting up there in age a little bit. It's tough to to go out and hit all the parties. But my takeaway is it's becoming very similar to CES. Like you said, there's so much stuff. There's a lot of great tech. There's people showing off all of their gear and everything like that, and it's very professional. You know, very kind of business oriented. I mean, I've seen a lot of business being done. I mean, it's the it's the big Kahuna right now for yeah. sure. As I said before, you couldn't even visit every booth and spend five or ten minutes at every booth. You wouldn't have enough time in the day. And even the traffic, you know, uh, getting here, we're not staying very far away, but it's just a mm-hmm. crawl. Somebody told me that I guess about ten or fifteen years ago they doubled the size of the convention center, but they didn't change the roads. <laughs> so <laughs> you've got twice as many people in there and the same size roads, and so it gets a little congested. It's a really cool event. I think it's important for the industry. It is. It's the big kahuna. I mean, there's lots of other. You could go to one of these every weekend, but this is really the biggest one of the year. Yeah. Let me ask you this, if I can. As in any new industry, it's not uncommon to see a bunch of references. You know, magazines pop up in the wine industry, the cigar. You know, everybody's coming out with a magazine one way or another. And so let me ask you this. What distinguishes your publication from some of the others that are out there? That's a great question. You know, some of the things that I think I think some magazines are a little bit misunderstood right now in the uh, in the terms of you know everybody's heard Prince is dead, Prince dead, Prince dead, mm-hmm. Prince dead. Print is is evolving. Print is print is now for some types of publications. Print is dead. You get your news so fast on the internet that you, maybe you don't need a newspaper every day. But as far as niche publications. Niche publications are doing very well. And in fact, some really big tech brands have just launched magazines, print magazines. Netflix has a print magazine, a quarterly print magazine that they have put out because they know it's a way for them to create a emotional connection with the people they're trying to reach. Sure. Basically, when, when people sure. read magazines, they love their magazine. Yeah. You look forward to getting it. You know, Do you remember ever subscribing yeah. to something and you'd go out and open the mailbox and you're like, damn, it's not here. You know, And when it came, you were happy. Well, of course, you know, at our I, age, we remember Playboy. Is yes. Playboy with the real glossy pictures of beautiful women. I subscribed to that even when I was 18 in the Army. I've been a subscriber to Sports Illustrated since I was in grade school. And year after year, I would always go running to the mailboxes whenever the issue comes out. And I'm usually the one to grab it, except for the issue that comes out the weekend after the Super Bowl. That's the swimsuit issue, and my wife is the one waiting in front to make sure she grabs it so that my younger sons don't get their hands on it. Larry, I understand that you've been uh, doing some musical things. Well, that's true, Jim. I was lucky enough uh, to be out in San Francisco recently. For you and our listeners who may recall my good friend Andy Greenberg from Society Jane, who was a guest on the show recently, her husband, Alex Wellens, uh, works for an outfit called the Blue Shirt Group. But he and his business were celebrating their 20th anniversary. We flew out there to support Alex. On Thursday night, they hosted their party at the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco, which was certainly a venue at which the Dead played a number of, of stellar shows. And the house band for the night was Carl Denson's Train Universe. And for those who have never heard of Carl Denson, uh, his day job is being the saxophone player for the Rolling Stones when they are on tour. He tours with them as their saxophone player. 
So this wow. is a guy who's been in the industry for a long, long time, knows everybody, knows everything, and he's put together a band that's just absolutely incredible. Some great guitar players, a couple of drummers, a really good bass player, and he, of course, plays the sax. And I've seen him a, a number of times, and what, what he typically tends to do is play a lot of other people's music. So one year down at Jazz Fest, we went and saw his show, and they were covering Exile on Main Street. Uh, we saw them two years ago down there, and they were doing primarily covering the Allman Brothers. And, and both times I was impressed because you almost think that they were playing it better than the people themselves. For this show, they just went through and played a bunch of uh, fan favorites and, and everything, but the music is so tight, and the, and the, set, and the songs are a wonderful jam, just kind of stretch out and about, and you get that saxophone right in the middle of it. And it was really such a tremendous show and in such a great venue that, that was far from full because they had, they had rented it out for this party. The highlight of the evening, clearly for everyone, including my friend Alex, he has two boys, and his youngest son, Max, is a saxophone player. Uh, they apparently had worked it out in advance, and at one point, Carl Denson called young Max Wellens, who's, I don't know if he's a sophomore or a junior at Boulder, uh, up onto the stage. Uh, Max, who has a little bit of big-time saxophone playing experience, went up there and joined the band for a cover of Shakedown Street, which is, of course, one of my favorite dead tunes. It was played marvelous, marvelously, uh, but, but clearly, Max stole the show. Here's a kid who's maybe in his early 20s at most, and he was standing right up there next to probably one of the most famous rock saxophone players out there, more than holding his own, and really jamming, having a great time, tremendous stage presence. We were all blown away. And at the end of the show, he got the uh, official double uh, thumbs up by first getting the fist bump from Carl Denson, who then, over the microphone, invited Max to stay up and play with them for the rest of the set. If you've never seen Carl Denson, even if you have once, if he and his band come anywhere near where you are, that's a show you need to go see, and you need to be a part of it, and it will change your life. They're that good. And really, the best thing was, it was such a small crowd. For half the show, I was literally standing you know, right up in the very front, two feet away from the stage, which is a perspective that I rarely get at, at Fisher the Grateful Dead, given how hard it is to get anywhere that close to the stage. And to, sure. to see these guys doing their thing was amazing. Their keyboard player was playing a Hammond B3, and to really get it right up front there and see that thing in action, it was spectacular. Well, that's great. Still got a couple more days here in Las Vegas at the show. Uh, Larry, anything else? Not a whole lot new going on here in Illinois. We're, we're getting close to the deadline for the dispensary applications. We're at that stage where there's a lot of tele, a lot of worried telephone calls going back and forth among attorneys, consultants, accountants. Do you understand what they're really asking for for Exhibit J? Do we have to do it this way? Do we have to do it that way? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're all of a sudden, everybody just puts down their guard and we'll talk to anybody. If you can give me the answer, if you can help me out, you're my new best friend. And I will tell you this, the state just awarded the first two cultivation licenses to current existing medical growers, allowing them to start growing adult-use cannabis. And it really kind of came out of left field and nobody was expecting it until it was announced. And then the state kind of belatedly added, well, we think we're going to do on the grow side what we did on the dispensary side, which is if you have a license, we'll give you another one. The good news from our perspective is, is that that's two more cultivators who will be out there growing and hopefully contributing to the supply uh, that is going to be desperately needed around here after the first of the year. Yes, it, it certainly will be. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that because they're not going to have enough supply. And I always say to right. uh, our clients at Bridge West, get to know your regulator. They're people, too, and even though they're there to enforce the rules, they want to work with people they like, know, and trust, like everyone else. 
And yep. so it's important to get to know your regulators. So when they're handing out an additional license in a emergency situation almost in Illinois where they're not going to have enough product, mm -hmm. they're going to give those licenses to the people that they've worked with for 10 years and that they know run compliant shops. We'll pick this up on the next uh, Deadhead Cannabis show because we have more to talk about in Michigan and Illinois as the Midwest really cranks up with medical and adult use cannabis. So thank you very much, Chuck. Thanks for having me. Please keep us up to date on what's going on with your magazine. Be very interested to be reading it now going forward. Thank you. Yep. And that's Cannabis and Tech Technology Magazine. Hey, for the Deadhead Cannabis Excellent. Show, this is Jim Marty saying over and out. Thanks, Jim Larry Michigan saying goodbye. Everybody have a good day. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while, while we, we break, break it all down. down.